Can I ask you to turn back to that passage in Galatians there? I didn't catch the page number. Someone have the page number? I can. 1168? 1168. It'll be useful to have it there, I think. Um, we're going to flick about a wee bit through the book of Galatians, but most of the other verses will come up on the screen. So uh, just have the passage in front of you. And just, just to check that this is actually doing what it's meant to do before we get going. No. I think it's turned off, Gary. You might, have to, you might have to do it for me. That's all right. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. And we pray now that you will steady our hearts and our minds and open us to be ready to receive what you have for us. Prepare our wills to act and change us lord by your word in jesus name we pray amen from from time to time there are products sold that have to be recalled this is the classic time of the year where people have lots and lots of new stuff new things have come into the home and on the odd time there are things recalled because they're not safe because something has happened to them um, because they're, they're dangerous, they're poisonous, something like that. Occasionally, though, uh, what happens is things have to be recalled because of tampering, because someone has been fiddling with a product or changed it slightly. Let's go ahead, Gary, um, to the next slide. Uh, something like this has maybe happened, or even to the next one. And things have happened to products that have, have made them dangerous, uh, that have merely made them uh, into such a way that they're just not suitable for people at all. And the odd time you get things coming up in the newspaper and, and calling these products back because someone has messed about with them and they've become dangerous. Well, in the passage that we turn to in Galatians today, we see that someone or some people have been tampering not with a product to be sold on the shelves, but they've been tampering with the most valuable and the most precious thing that there is, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this whole letter, the whole letter of Galatians, is written because of this very thing, this tampering, this mucking about. And it's different to Paul's other letters. If you go ahead, Gary, this is not a happy, great to hear from, good to hear you guys are getting on well kind of letter. It's got a different tone. This letter is loaded and fiery. Paul has got serious words to say to the churches in Galatia. We can't read the first few verses of this letter and not feel that something utterly important is at stake. We can't read Galatians and think of it as some kind of interesting religious reflection any more than we could examine a burning coal with our bare hands. The book of Galatians is a direct statement of the truth that is at the heart of following Jesus Christ. What a great part of the Bible. What a great part of God's Word to look at as we stare into the prospect of a brand new year with challenges, opportunities, struggles, suffering, and plans. A year when only at the very beginning have we the opportunity to set our priorities. It seems that at least some of the Christians in Galatia 
have got themselves caught up in, in some new way of thinking. And it's a different way to what Paul had taught them. It's a, a new kind of gospel. And it's most likely that the basic story goes something like this. Some of the Jewish Christians who have followed the law of Moses their whole lives and for whom Jesus coming and dying was the end of a long process of salvation and rescue, well, those guys are not happy with the idea of these non-Jews just coming in at the end of the process and claiming all the benefits. Now, they're now saying that it's necessary for people like that, essentially people like us, to make up the other bits. You know, the circumcision, the rituals, the sacrifices. Basically, the notion is that the cross alone is not enough. Jesus' death on its own is not enough. That we need to contribute to our salvation ourselves. And the Galatians, it seems, or at least some of them, have been completely sucked in. Go ahead, Gary. I don't know about you. I'm sort of nailing my, my colors to the mask here, mask here and showing you what I do between September and December on a Saturday night. But I don't know if anyone else watched The X Factor. I, I do like watching The X Factor. But to be honest, I get a bit bored towards the end. I don't like the bits when people are starting to get good and, and it's becoming a real competition. I prefer it when you're watching people well, I was going to say humiliate themselves, but people who can't sing. I love that bit. I love it when people come in and either they're oblivious to their, they're completely self-unaware or whatever, I'm not totally sure, but, but there's so many times when I sit often in astonishment. I literally cannot believe what is happening. Well, I think the X Factor helps us understand Paul's reaction as he hears about what's happening to the Galatians. Look, look at verse 6 there. Paul says, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul is astonished. He just can't believe his ears. Is this really happening? You can't seriously be turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all, he says in verse 7. Paul doesn't for one minute want to sound like he's saying that there are different gospels and that we can just choose the one that we like. Paul says, people are messing with your heads. He says, people are throwing you into confusion. They're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And he's devastated. And he says, no. He says, no, this is not the gospel that I preached. This is not the gospel you accepted. This is not any gospel. Now, maybe this morning that you're sitting here this morning and you are asking genuinely, what is the gospel? What is the real gospel? Well, unfortunately, we don't have time this morning to get really into that, but I'd like to point you to something that's happening in, in the next week or two here in church. Christianity Explored is a course that we're starting up here. It's happened in the past. There's been a bit of a break. And over the next six or seven weeks, there's going to be a course running called Christianity Explored. That is probably the best thing I know available to explain to people what the gospel really is. If you have questions about it, if you're sitting this morning thinking, well, what is the gospel? Please think about going to that course. There's details in the bulletin. There's a sign-up sheet at the back. Please, please think about that. For now, I want to read to you the, the definition that John Piper gives, the one-sentence definition of the gospel. John Piper says, the gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, 
died for our sins and rose again, eternally triumphant over all his enemies, so that there's now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. That's a one-sentence definition of the gospel. I encourage you, if you want to know more, to think about going to Christianity Explored. Something quite serious that very few of you won't know about me is that I actually ran away from home once. I was so fed up with the way things were. The rules, the battles. I just felt so restricted. And I felt that nobody took me or my opinion seriously. I was nine years old. And I packed my bag and I left because I wanted freedom. I soon discovered, though, that the sort of freedom that I had had got for myself wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. But I wanted freedom. Well, Paul wanted freedom too. Paul wanted people to see that the real gospel gives us real freedom. Look at Galatians 2, 4, and 5, 1. You can bring them up on the screen there, Gary. Galatians 2, verse 4 says this. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. And 5, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And what makes the truth in this passage, the passage that we read in Galatians 1, so powerful is that the different gospel in the churches of Galatia, well, it wasn't some wild idea from another land. It wasn't something from far away that people had brought in. It was a close counterfeit to the real thing. The people in verse 7 who were mucking about with the gospel were most likely professing Christians. Paul had encountered this in other places, in-house distortions promoted by men who called themselves Christian brothers. Folks, we must always watch out for anybody who would make even a subtle change to the gospel. People who might suggest that we need to do certain things or live in certain ways in order to be rescued from sin. Of course, we want to see our lives changed and we want to live God's way. But the gospel is the start of that process, not a reward for doing it. Paul said to the elders in Ephesus, Gary, you can bring up these two verses as well. In Ephesus, in in Acts 20, verse 30, he said, Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Paul warns loads of times that this will happen. And then look what he says in verse 31 straight after. He says, So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you, night and day, with tears. What did Paul do? He cried his eyes out at the very thought of people turning their backs on the gospel. Paul shed tears as he sought to protect the gospel. And why? Because he knew that the gospel was the way to freedom. Whoever we are in Christ, we must protect the gospel whether we preach often or occasionally, whether we pastor people even from time to time, 
whether we're leaders of God's people in some way, whether we are followers of Jesus Christ who want to encourage others and witness to people who don't yet love him, we must protect the gospel because it's the way to freedom. The remainder of our time this morning, I want to I think of four reasons why we've got to protect the gospel. We protect the gospel, firstly, because it gives us the freedom to say no to sin. Look at verses 3 to 5 with me there of, of Galatians 1. Paul wrote, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. In Jesus' death, God was acting to rescue us from the present evil age. Jesus prayed for us in John 17, verse 15. He says, Father, don't take them out of the world, but keep them from evil. If you're anything like me, then you find sin a real nightmare. Because sin can have such a grip on our lives. It certainly does on mine. And it can have such a grip on the institutions of our society. Satan appears to have been allowed so much power. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. But folks, you see, for those who trust in Jesus, for those who trust in the gospel, a liberation has begun to take place. Colossians 1.13 says, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. The reason we no longer have to be enslaved to the fear and the guilt and the anger and the pessimism and the selfishness and the greed and the pride of the present evil age is that the kingdom of God has come upon us. So Jesus said in Luke 11 verse 20, Or Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The new age, with new powers and new ways, has broken in. And it's rescuing us from the present evil age. And folks, this means that we are free to bear witness with our lives that we belong to another king, to another kingdom, to another age. Being rescued means a change of heart so that we are free to love a new age. We get our kicks in new and higher ways than this age can offer. Paul said in Romans 12 verse 2, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Rescue from this present evil age means freedom not to think like this age. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So folks, we protect the gospel because it gives us the freedom to say no to sin. But also we protect the gospel because it gives us the freedom to say no to the law. I've already talked about this. So I'm not, not going to bore you by doing it again, but I'm going to give you a picture of it. 
This is a picture that I always go back to, and, and for myself, and when I'm trying to explain it to other people, I find it the most helpful picture of this whole concept. And it's the picture of adoption. You need to imagine a family that have decided to adopt a child. And all the paperwork has been done. Everything's been signed and sealed. The child's ready to move in. And the, the child is brought to the door of that house. Doorbell rings and the family open up and welcome that child in. And that child becomes part of that family. Now, the child did nothing to earn it. Did nothing to, to, to do anything to, to work its way into that family. The child is in because it's in. Now, a couple of weeks down the line, the father or parents in that family might sit the child down and say, you know, you didn't do anything to earn your way in here. You're here because we wanted you to be. But now that you're part of this family, here's the way we do things around here. That would be totally acceptable. But the child didn't get in because of anything it did. The way things are done comes later. And folks, it's exactly the same for us with the gospel. We don't do anything to earn our way into God's acceptance. We don't do anything to earn our way into his kingdom or his favor or his love. We're in because we're in. We're in because of the gospel. Now, of course, once we're in, few weeks down the line, God starts to say, okay, now you're in. Here's how we do things around here. But we didn't earn our way in there. Some of the people in Galatia had begun to believe that they had to earn their acceptance from God. But we are free from any such notion. So we protect the gospel because it gives us the freedom to say no to sin. We protect it because it gives us the freedom to say no to the law. And thirdly, we protect the gospel because it gives us freedom from the curse of God. See, we have a choice as to how we react to the gospel. We can reject it at any time. Paul can't believe here that these guys in Galatia have turned away from the true gospel after they'd first believed it, but it happens. And this is a warning to all of us here who trust in Jesus right now. Paul is simply stunned that so soon after his beautiful portrayal of Christ crucified for their sin, that they would turn to another gospel. He says in 3 verse 1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Surely nobody, after hearing and accepting the best news in the world, that God offers us free and full forgiveness and hope, would turn to a different gospel, which is nothing. But it happened here, and it still happens today. It's astonishing. But rejection doesn't just end at astonishing. You see, such rejection ends in death and curse. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. Paul writes, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel 
other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. The word that's repeated here for condemned in the original Greek is the word anathema. Now that word anathema means basically accursed. And when a person is anathema, he is cut off from God. He is cut off from Christ and he's doomed to eternal punishment. That's what Paul says is the end result of rejecting or accepting a a false gospel. And we know that Paul's not just saying that this is true for those who tamper with the gospel, but it's true for those who follow any perverted gospel. Folks, the Bible doesn't reveal to us the eternal curse of God so that we can yawn and turn the page. The wrath of God is revealed to shake unbelievers out of their days and to knock the complacency out of the Christian. Please don't skim over verses 8 and 9 lightly. There is warning here for every one of us. Be careful, because we are always free to reject the gospel. Folks, we must cling to it more tightly than we would cling to our child's hand crossing a motorway, because it gives us freedom from the curse of God. So this year we protect the gospel because it gives us the freedom to say no to sin. We protect the gospel because it gives us the freedom to say no to the law. And we protect the gospel because it gives us freedom from the curse of God. Finally, this morning, we protect the gospel because it gives us freedom from the temptation to please men. When I was starting to think about the the application form for uh, ordained ministry, I realized that I was a people pleaser. There were questions on the form that that meant you had to really analyze your personality and your character. And And I realized that I didn't like to upset or confront people. And although at one level that may seem like a very admirable quality, it can actually become quite a hindrance. Because you see, the servant of the gospel seeks to please God alone and not men. Look at verse 10. Paul says, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul has just said some things in verses 8 and 9 that aren't going to win him many friends. But Paul is willing to talk this way because pleasing people is much lower on his list of priorities than serving Jesus Christ. Now, I'm pretty sure that the lesson here is not that the more people we can upset, the better, and that we become a better servant of the gospel that way. Paul says in many different ways that we must strive to please people, provided pleasing them is a means to their salvation and to God's glory. No, for me personally, the most thrilling implication of verse 10 is that the absoluteness of Jesus' lordship is wonderfully freeing. Trusting the gospel is the most freeing activity there is because it frees me from having to worry about pleasing one person here and another person there. It brings unity and integrity to my life. When we live to please only one person, everything we do is integrated because it relates to that one person. Shall I go and see this film? 
Shall I read this book? Shall I make this purchase? Shall I take this job? Should I go on this date? Should I marry this person? This could go on, but do you see what a freeing thing it is to know that there's only one person who's to be pleased in every decision of life, and that's Jesus Christ. Sometimes pleasing Him will please others. That's great. Sometimes it won't, and that might hurt. But the joy and the freedom of a single-minded life is worth it all. So, folks, we protect the gospel because it gives us the freedom to say no to sin. We protect it because it gives us the freedom to say no to the law. We protect it because it gives us freedom from the curse of God. And we protect the gospel because it gives us freedom from the temptation to please men. As we finish this morning, I want to suggest something that that might sound a bit odd, but I I want to put it out there. Because to be truly free, if we want to be truly free, we must first become fully slave. Paul was a slave to Christ. Look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ, God the Father who raised him from the dead. And then glance down to verse 12. He says, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul speaks on behalf of Jesus, and he devoted his life entirely to serving him and to protecting the gospel. Paul was a slave to the gospel. I want you to follow with me as we read words from Romans chapter 6 verses 15 to 22. They'll come up on the screen. Again, Paul, and he writes, What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you yield yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once yielded your members to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, so now yield your members to righteousness for sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But then what return did you get from the things of which you're now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the return you get is sanctification and its end, eternal life. Do you want to be free in 2009? Really free? then become a slave to the gospel. Protect the gospel because that's where real freedom lies. Amen. Let's pray together.